Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I will be joined on the line later today by Seattle Sounders legend, Sean Muldoon. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, as you know, my podcast team and myself have spent some time on vacation, so you don't really get a recap of the week that was, but I am going to look into the future. I'm going to look into my magic crystal ball, and I'm going to let you know that if you're listening to this, I have just had my birthday. That is right. July 27th, 42 years ago, I was born. And crazy to think about, like, I mean, when I say 42, that I don't know, I kind of feel old. But, you know, I say that and it sounds like a big number, but what's crazy is like most days, I don't feel that age at all. Like I think back to when I was a little kid and I remembered when I was 22, I'd be 22 in the year 2000. And I thought the year 2000 was so far off. And here we are 20 years after that. And I mean, I feel really good. Like I feel like between the nutrition, the training, the recovery, the mindset, like all the things that I've worked on, like I wish somebody would have told me at 20, like you can feel really amazing at 40. I don't know how 50 is supposed to feel or 60. I just know at like 41, 42, feeling pretty darn good and pretty damn energetic. So excited about what's going on. One thing I did want to mention too, before we get into this awesome commercial about the complete coach certification is that if you haven't picked up the cert, one thing you should know is that before I left on vacation, I basically created an entirely new PowerPoint, shot all new videos on my assessment process. And this was one of the big things that people had mentioned about the certification in the past. They said they love the program design, they love the anatomy, they love the coaching and the progressions and regressions and the exercise library. They said the one thing they felt like it was missing was an assessment. And I was shocked because I, you know, I just figured most people already had an assessment. They didn't need another one. But, you know, the more I dug into this, the more I realized like there's not a lot of great assessment stuff out there. There's a lot of people that talk about a test, but there's not this comprehensive approach to assessment. So that is what I spent basically the last two months leading up to my vacation working on was basically breaking down why we assess, how we assess, the movements, the static posture, the table tests, the gross movement tests. But here's the most important thing, my friend, and here's what really bugs me about a lot of assessment stuff that's out there. A lot of people take all this time, they're talking about assessments, but they never connect the dots for you. Right, So you have like 50 different data points, 50 different tests you're doing, but you never know what to relate it back to or how it should impact your actual program design. So that's a big piece of this too. I'm not only kind of break down, hey, look, here are the tests, but here's how they relate. Here's how your side view and posture relates to your ability to rotate, which relates to your ability to externally or internally rotate your shoulder. We don't just dig into that, but we dig into how is that going to positively or negatively impact how you actually move in the gym. And that's what it's all about, right? At the end of the day, when you do an assessment, it just makes sense. You should probably know what exercises you're going to use when you bring a new client or a new athlete into the gym on day one. So that's what that is all about. So you're going to get kind of a a lecture and an overview of the different tests. And then I actually take... uh, former iFast intern Austin Ulrich through the assessment just so you can see what it looks like in real time. You get a feel for kind of the interaction and the verbiage 
that I use to make sure our clients and our athletes are doing things in the best possible fashion. So very excited to push that out there. If you are not on the insiders list, if you haven't picked up the cert, check out the commercial that's coming up in just a second. And after that, we're going to dive into this awesome show with my guy, Sean. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next cert will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Sean Muldoon joined the Seattle Sounders performance staff during the 2016 season. He started with the club as an assistant strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist and is in his third season as the Sounders head strength and conditioning coach. Sean's main roles are to assist the high-performance manager on the field, lead all gym-based activities, work in conjunction with the medical department on bespoke athletic development and rehab programs, and to oversee the club's nutritional protocols. In this show, Sean and I start by talking about how a, quote, non-soccer guy, unquote, like himself, has had success in the sport, the lessons he's learned from the various high-performance managers he's worked for, and then we take a look at the dark side of pro sports from the mistakes and the sacrifices he's made along the way and all the other lessons that he's learned over the years. Regardless of whether you're into soccer or not, if you wanna be successful in physical preparation, I know you can take a ton away from this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. All right, Sean, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so Sean Muldoon, I'm the head strength coach for MLS Seattle Sounders. This is currently my fifth season with the team, fourth year, fifth season. Yeah, originally from Chicago, I'd spent some time in basically the private sector, NCAA, and then now I'm in pro sports. So it's been a, a fun journey so far, for sure. I love it. I love it, man. Tell me, what got you into the world of physical preparation? Like, what got you excited about all this? 
So I, I think maybe I have a different journey than other people. So I went to college on a track scholarship. So I was a 400 meter runner. My only goal in life was to be in the Olympics. Like that was, okay. that was it. And I even remember applying for college, picking a major. I was like, oh, I'll be a speech con major because, you know, maybe I'll be into broadcasting afterwards. <laughs> right. Not realizing I'm like pretty introverted and not very funny. So I was like, <laughs> uh, so I get to college freshman year and speech comm major and I'm picking classes and I was like, oh, injuries in sport. That seems like a cool class. So I took it and I was like, man, this is really interesting. Maybe I can learn about the body and, and be better running every day. Like if I learn about right. injuries, then I can hopefully prevent some. And I was like, oh, I should just switch because I really enjoyed the class. And they're like, well, actually, you're a varsity athlete. You can't be an athletic trainer because while you're training, they have to be at practice like watching you. Oh. Um, so I switched just to be a general like kinesiology major. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, that seems interesting. I don't know what I'll do with it, but just get to the Olympics. <laughs> Clearly that did not happen. And my first, I was pretty burnt out. I got a little depressed in college, like injuries. I was injured every single season. Oh. I only ran one healthy outdoor 400 meter my entire career oh uh, in gosh. college because I had pretty much season ending injuries every year. So after college, I took a little bit of time off. I worked at a nonprofit in DC for a year and realized I was like, yeah, that's not for me. The suit and the tie, <laughs> the like nine to five as this is not for me. So realizing I need to kind of get back to what I was, what my roots were, what made me happy, which was like sports. So studied for the CSCS, took it and kind of maybe tricked my way into college at the University of Miami where I did my master's. And then so from there, just realizing like I wanted to get back into strength and conditioning, training people. That's just like what brought me the most amount of joy, something I just spent a lot of time doing. So I so did my master's at UM and in strength and conditioning. And then from there, just kind of I'm a very logical next step person. Like I wish yes. I had these grand plans and was a super forward thinker. And it just like, that's not me. So it was just like, okay, <laughs> what's the next thing I need to do? And then so it was get a job in college, you know, and then from there, same thing. I was just like, okay, great. I've been in NCAA now for three years, you know, working for a, a top men's soccer program, but like, then what? And I was just realizing I kind of wanted to switch over to, to pro sports and, and focus more singularly on, on one sport. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you've, you've had lots of folks from, from college. It's like, it really didn't resonate with me that I had like three or four teams and I was lucky to only have three or four yes. teams. Like some have seven, eight. And so just wanting to, to focus on one thing and have kind of everybody in the organization focused on one thing. I love it, man. So talk to me about being at that collegiate level. And then you kind of know you want to get to the professional level, because I think a lot of people could relate to this. Like, what were the next steps? Or how did you get found, so to speak? Yeah, man, I, I wish I had a really good answer for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I initially came out to, so I, I have come from no soccer background, have never played, had no experience. And the, the head coach of the team I worked at in Charlotte, he and I just really got along on how we just honestly, the, the care and, and effort he put into training. I was like, man, I really right. like that. Like he thought about every detail. He was just, and he realized that like from the performance side of things, I did the same thing. And he was like, you should reach out to some MLS clubs, learn from them and just kind of steal what you can and apply it here. So I sent a list of teams where basically I had family members so I could stay for free for the summer. Yes. Uh, Seattle being one of them, he knew a coach here, connected me with Dave Tenney. And I was like, hey, can I come out for a little bit and just 
see what you do. And that was kind of the, the first real spark for me of wanting to get into pro sports. And then how to how I did it was knowing it was something I really wanted to do, but not sure how it was going to happen. So basically just really like continue to educate myself, you know, soccer wise, and then slowly just put myself out there a little bit more. I like, I'm not a big writer, but I wrote a few blog posts to try, you know, yeah. uh, to do something a little bit different. Like, and honestly, just being the, the kind of persistent bug within a lot of people, like asking a lot of questions, I would meet somebody, you know, reach out to somebody on Twitter, like, hey, you know, do you mind if I meet up with you while I'm here? Just the kind of standard and just really start to stay in touch with people. And then became close with Dave and Chad and those guys just over a number of two years, you know, just coming out to the sports science seminar, staying in touch with them. And yeah, just, just trying to take what they were doing and apply it into the, the college setting. Because I think the college has a lot of benefits that pro sports don't have. Like, And I don't, I don't know if, if people always appreciate that the access to, I mean, I was doing research projects on my guys every day because right. I had 30 completely compliant athletes, you know, and they have it access to like professors and like there's so much institution within NCAAs that, that give you a leg up over pro sports necessarily. Yeah. And so it was just trying to take the pieces that they built in terms of infrastructure and apply it in my setting. And then, yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know how it happened of just coming out here, sports science <laughs> seminar. And I was like, Hey man, if anything ever opens up in Seattle, like, let me know. I would love to move out just because my wife is from the West coast. And so like, we want to get to, right. to the West coast and then it like it happened. So, you know, it was for me trying to identify what my weaknesses were, keep working on them. And then just, yeah, being, being very honest about what my, what my strengths were, which is like, you know, being in the gym, nutrition stuff and yeah, improving on those. Well, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like you've got to be persistent, like in this day and age. And I think there's like a healthy level of persistence. And then there's up above that, there's annoyance, you know, you don't want to get to to that level, but I mean, yeah, you can't. You can't network from behind a computer screen, right? Yeah. Like you can, but it's not the same. So like you said, getting out there, networking with people, being politely persistent and just putting yeah. it out there. Like, hey, I, I just told my interns this the other day. They're like, well, I just don't know like what I'm going to do. And I don't know if people are hiring. I'm like, who cares if they're hiring? I said, put it out there, like throw something at them. Like people are way more willing to be creative in this current space as far as like, oh, well, if I'm a gym owner and somebody wants to come and pay me $500 a month to work out of my space, like before I wouldn't have considered it, but maybe now, oh, okay, you know, that helps me make rent. So again, yeah. just just being persistent and, and you've got to pitch people because if you don't, the answer is always no, right? Yeah. You got to put it out there. Okay. So here's where I want to go with this because I think we are kindred spirits in this regard. <laughs> Neither of us would describe ourselves as quote unquote soccer guys, right? Like I yep. definitely didn't grow up around the sport you were a track guy. So how did you go about transitioning from being a non-soccer guy to a soccer guy? Yeah, it's something I'm still very much working on. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just about being being very honest with myself in the sense that what I bring to the table is is very different than somebody who has a historical knowledge and experience playing. So for me, it was anytime I made a recommendation, like I know people say not to say this, but like I stayed in my lane. Like I wasn't overreaching what I could actually influence because yeah. if, if I had an opportunity to influence a decision decision, I wanted to make sure what I was giving was I could back it up and it was meaningful and they would see an impact from it. So it was, 
I'll never compete with players or coaches about like technical things or teaching them about how to be a better player or tactics. Like I can never do that. But what I can do is, is talk to them about, you know, who they are outside of the field. Like once they leave the technical realm, them as an athlete and as a human, like, can, can I influence that process at all? And so gym based stuff for sure, realizing like I can run with that because I do feel very comfortable. And I think that's something that is a strength of mine. But again, like the, the holistic side of things, again, nutrition, sleep, like the psychology, just like the overall athlete experience. Hmm. I think I can influence that process, but especially with, with coaches and decision makers, just being very patient and calculated with what I would choose to try to influence, you know, not coming in there and be like, okay, this drill is really bad. You should do this, this, and this. They'll be like, all right, next, go away. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so, and honestly, it makes me very non, like not a threat as well, because I'm not going in there competing with them. I'm like, listen, I don't know anything. Right. So why don't you explain to me a little bit about what you're doing and then I'll jump on it, but I better make sure I'm right uh, because my room for error is so slim. So especially with players as well, like I'm not a threat. They see me playing and they're like, oh, my like 10 year old is better than you. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Right. But if I ever get called out, like it helps being a fairly good athlete right now. Like I can still beat most of my players in a race. I can still lift more than them in any way. Like, you know, if they ask a question about something that's in my realm, I have to have a good answer to it. And I think that's allowed me to be successful because I'm, I'm very self-aware. Like I am not a, like, I, I can't pretend to be something I'm not. And I, I own that and it, it keeps me on the outside a little bit, but it also allows the, the trust and the relationship to, to build because what people see from me is like, they're, they're getting that. Like I'm, I'm not going to, you know, pretend I'm some guru about something that I'm not. Yeah. I love that. And I would say, If you're a coach and you're listening to this and you ever get put into a situation where you go from, you know, a sport that you're very comfortable with to something that you've never been around, I think one of the best things you can do, like you said, Sean, is number one, just admit, like, I don't know, right? Like, that's a totally acceptable answer. Like, I have not been around the sport a bunch. I don't know a lot about it. But be a sponge and immerse yourself around the game, right? Like, so when I took that, that gig with the Indy 11, sure... I'd worked with a handful of soccer players and some decent level soccer players, but I'd never been at the pitch every day. I'd never watched them go through warmups, go through technical drills, you know, like that level of immersion allowed me to better understand the game. And I would say along those same lines, just ask a ton of questions. And I would just, I, I would tell the coaches like, look, I don't know this game the way that you do. I probably never will. But if I want to be the best coach for your athletes, The more you can educate me, the better I can be and the better I can serve you. So if you can kind of have some of those conversations early on. And I think, too, the analogy that I would use is like if you go to a different country and they speak a different language and you at least try and speak their language, they're like pretty accepting and forgiving of you. Right. They're like, at least he's making an effort. So I would be the same way, like especially the first year and knock the ball around with the guys. And it's like, okay, I'm trash. I get that. But, you know, it's like. It endears them or endears you to them because they know that you're making an effort and you're trying to learn and you're trying to be better for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100 percent. And I think the the language piece you mentioned was is a huge one. Like I'm in every single film session, anything, whether it's optional or not, like I'm there. The messages that our coaches give to players 
leading up to games or, or what our theme is for training, like paying very close attention to that. So if I'm leading a, a drill or, or doing a rehab, something I can use the same verbiage that they use. Like that yes. really matters how yes. I'm describing the movements, not, Hey, I want you to accelerate here. It's like, okay, if you're pressing somebody here, make sure your body position is set up yes. in a way that you force, you know, yep. because it's not trying to over science things because maybe that's where my world is, but that's not where theirs is. They don't care for the most part. They don't want to hear the science and the explanation behind it. It's like, how does this make me a better footballer? You know? And so the words that I use are really crucial to that because it either sets me up as I'm, okay, this is going to be this big aerobic block. And they're like, "Mm." or, you know, if you're pressing, if you're pressing somebody in the 90th minute, it's really important that you still are able to do that at the same intensity. They're like, okay, I understand that maybe a little bit more. So it's definitely agree a hundred percent being there, trying, learning actively, like engaging again, like I don't miss a film session, even though, you know, I'm not adding to that. I want to make sure that, you know, from the staff side, we're all giving the same messages that, you know, even on, on my pieces, they hear the same words that the coaching staff are are sharing. So they realize like we're doing this for the same purpose. To yes. get better. I love that, man. So I also think a big part of making this sort of transition depends on the people around you. So again, when I think of where I came from, I had Danny O'Rourke, I had a Chad Marshall, I had Brian Carroll. So I had individual players that helped me understand the game. But then I also had other coaches, especially a guy named Tim Regan, who was the assistant with the Indy 11 really like took me under his wing, helped me understand the game. And he was just such an analytical mind when it came to soccer. He really helped me. Now, you've obviously had some really fantastic performance directors over the years as well. So I was wondering, would you be willing to share maybe what you've learned from each of them? Yeah, absolutely. I feel super fortunate to have worked where I have and from Miami to UNC Charlotte, to even in Seattle. Like I, I've been around a lot of really great pioneers and, and leaders within the space. And the first one would be, you've actually had him on your podcast. Jim Krumpos was uh, yeah. my strength coach. We only had a very short time together and it was one of the most impactful I've ever been around. And, and he really like challenged the like coach every day. Like the guy didn't take a minute off. He just like the leading by example, like that he was always himself coaching. And that was like yeah. something that really stuck with me as a young coach. And then at, at Charlotte, I was really fortunate to be around a coach. His name is Jimmy Duba. He's uh, at DePaul now. And he showed me a very different side of leadership because he he was the, probably the biggest fan of me and his staff of anybody I've ever seen. Like he supported us and like pushed us in a way that was so selfless as a leader that was, again, I'll never forget that of, of what, what real leadership, it wasn't about him. He was like, okay, great. You teach me about this. Like he was, you're such an expert in here. Tell me about that. And, and like really fostering this, this growth Mm -hmm. from, from a leader, from somebody who was my boss. That was, it was incredible. And along with, with Jimmy, I was around a woman named, her name is Stacy Hummer, also at UNC Charlotte. And she was like the, the ultimate practice, what you preach. Like Stacy was one of my bosses as well. And like, I don't think she was ever even on time for, for things. She was early, like (laughs) for everything ever, like never took a moment off of really living that, like what your values are. She would like embody that to me of like, you say this is important to you, like show up that consistency that like punch your ticket every day. You know, it's, it's not always sexy, but the the consistency thing. And so, yeah, that was, that was something I really learned from Stacy. And then, and then I came out to Seattle and my experience here has been 
has been much different. Like Dave is somebody, Dave Tenney was somebody that I like really look up to. Like he's a huge mentor of mine and somebody that I think is a real pioneer in this space. And so to get the opportunity to work for him, I was just so young and and naive and like just willing to like, oh my God, like almost intimidated by him because he was like, this is the guy I really look up to. And what I learned from Dave is, is about really the bigger picture, like how these pieces interact. Like his staff was composed of a non-soccer guy, me, Chad Kalarsik, who was a computer programmer turned strength coach, <laughs> Ravi, yeah. who was working at Microsoft and was like really one of the kind of first in analytics within in sports at a really high level. And then Brett Utley, who is a technical coach working as a strength and fitness coach. So like he took these these people in in basically all different roles and saw the value and actually lived by the I want other perspectives. I want someone who comes to this problem from a different place than I do. And to see how those those personalities and those people interact together. And I think Dave is very forward thinking in the sense that he wants to push himself and he wants to push the limits of like what what's possible. Like he's not not in. Uh, oh, this is just how I do it. And this yeah. is how it's done. I've had success here. So I'll have success there. It's like really being analytical about what his processes are, how he is yep. accomplishing the outcome. And then given a whole set of interesting circumstances. So Chad Kalarsik was my performance director for about six months once Dave left. And it was just Chad and I, and we had come off an MLS championship and we were both forced to do the job that Dave, Chad and I had done. So it was two people doing a three person job with the expectation of like, we're getting back to the final. That was what we were coming off of. Like, not like, Oh, good luck guys. Like, hope you don't screw it up. And so Chad is probably one of the smartest people ever is like asking Chad a question about any person or any scenario. Like there was an answer. He had sat down and thought about it ahead of time. And so especially with a group of like 30 players, each player had their own plan. And that's something people talk about a lot, like, oh, we had an individual plan. But actually spending the time to think about what it what is best for that athlete what are all the inputs of information we got about that one person and what are their needs? Like Chad taught me about, there's no shortcuts to that. Like it's not easy. It's not quick, you know, and it's, it's funny. I have this Excel spreadsheet now that I learned and stole from Chad of basically our entire roster and every piece of meaningful information that I've gotten from that player on that day. So whether it was from a rehab report, a conversation with them, just something that, that, taking a note. And I was like, man, Chad, how do you do that every day? And he goes, yeah, you just sit down, you think about it and you collect all the information and put it there. So now every day at our medical meeting, I have a, I have our entire roster and every piece of actionable information from them. Even if it's just like, Hey, he mentioned this. Has anybody confirmed this? Has any, you know, do you want to check in on that? Is this worth something else? So he is the meticulous planning yes. is there's no shortcut to that. You know, that takes time and effort. And then once Chad left, Damian Roden came in and he's, he's a fairly controversial person. We've had a very high and low relationship. We actually don't speak anymore right now, which is quite interesting. Our relationship is not very, very positive, but I learned a ton from him. He is, he has had success at like the highest level for a really long time. And the way he manages the group on the field, it was it was something that was like these little subtleties that showed he'd been in the game for so long. Like, even though he is a, a controversial figure who people were some loved, some hated, he still always managed to like influence the emotional state of the group in such a way that it was like people could come in and cranky and and like, oh, I don't want to hear it today. And he was able to just through like through games, through his personality, through, through how he managed 
the warm-ups, the intensity of things, the, the, the pace at which he spoke, all these little pieces were able to completely change the trajectory of like how the training was going to go since as a warm-up, we, we started. And it was just fascinating to see that like guys being in a bad mood or in a really good mood and able to like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things up a little bit and capitalize that. They're all ha- laughing, having fun. Like we can, we can capitalize on that and train a little bit harder than we were expecting to because like clearly they're ready for it. Right. So his approach to like the on field stuff was especially like around rehab and then just kind of like general team world. It's fantastic. And it's something that I have so many like written out drills from him of ways of ways he managed it. And then right now my current boss is, is Adam Owen. Uh, and so we're really just at the beginning of, of our journey together. And, but he's, he's a very interesting guy in the sense that he was a head coach. He's Mm -hmm. been a head coach of a team, but is now also the performance director. So, you know, the conversations we have and the pieces of information he shares, it's coming from a perspective of a coach, you know, right. which is, again, I will have no idea what that is ever like because that's, right. that's not my reality. Right. Uh, so it's been very interesting to hear the, the tidbits, how he manages the group, the things that I say, hey, I'm interested in this or I think we should do this and like kind of his rebuttal to things or the way he challenges and pushes me around uh, what we're doing right now. And especially given like, we're in uncharted territory within COVID training and right. this MLS is back tournament. And, and so to have somebody's perspective of that's been a head coach before is really refreshing because that's the kind of input I'm ulti- like, ultimately I work for the head coach. That's right. who I'm there to try to please and make sure that their vision is, is being moved forward. So that's been really fascinating to, to, to hear because it just, it's very different. It's not somebody who's just a strength coach like myself. You know, he understands the perspective and the pressure that comes from making decisions around lineups and, you know, again, man, really managing the group with the success of winning games at the forefront and, and the pressures that a head coach has to deal with. So love it. I love it, man. So I'm interested. You've been doing this five years now. What are some of the biggest lessons or takeaways that you've had from working with high level soccer guys? Yeah, something that really stood out to me and it was a huge mistake I made while I was at UNC Charlotte was the first level of this is I had so game days, our third string keeper in Charlotte, he and I used to do these just like insane upper body workouts because he was never going to play. And we would just like train like meatheads. <laughs> and he shared with me, he's like, oh, a couple of our players got drinking tickets. And I was like, oh, man, I'm 25 at the time. I'm like, all right. I'm going to have to deal with this. So I was very close with those two players. I said, listen, you better go tell the head coach. You got drinking tickets. If you don't tell them by the end of the day, I'm going to. They tell them. And I call the head coach. I'm like, what did these guys tell you about their drinking tickets? And he said, yeah, how do you know about it? I said, oh, they told me. And I told them to go tell you. And he goes, well, why didn't you tell me directly like to give me a heads up? And I was like, I wanted, I was trying to please the athlete. I was trying, trying to be friends with them and keep uh-huh. that connection there. And it was a massive mistake because the coach was like, I don't know if I can trust you now. You're going to have to earn earn my trust back because I feel like you're on the side of the players. And it was he was totally right. I was a huge mistake of mine. And so now fast forward five, six, this was this is 2013, seven years later. My relationship with players is very specific. And that's a, a threshold I'll never cross. Even though I'm same age, some of our players have kids. I had a player that our kids were a week apart and it was our first kid. So we were like instantly connected um, going through fatherhood together. And I had to choose to not be friends with this player 
because I felt myself starting to give him preferential t- treatment because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we get it together, you know, like, and that's something that as a coach, I'm like, oh, I treat, I, I love all my athletes. I treat them all the same. Like, I genuinely don't care who starts or not. Like, that's not up to me. So I just try to take care of them. And I felt myself starting to go down this route of a little bit preferential treatment, a little bit different, a different, maybe a little bit nicer to him. And so it was really, it was really tough, but I had to talk to my wife about this and be like, listen, like we can't be friends. Like we, we can't do anything outside of sport. We can't do anything because that that's going to influence me as a coach. Like that's changing my integrity that if, and, and I, I thought I was beyond that. I thought like I learned my lesson from Charlotte. Right. It's really hard to do when it's like, cause again, same age as me, you know, same kids, a lot of, a lot of similarities and, and realizing that it's, there's a boundary there and I need to respect that because to have integrity as a coach, I'm not beyond that to being influenced by these small level friendships or, or favoritism. Yes. Yes. No, I can totally imagine that. And, you know, I think we all have to figure out like what balance of friendliness works best for us. Right. Like I would say I definitely err more on the friendly side, but I've been having this thought lately and I just think of it as coaching currency right and you know if you're Bill Belichick you can probably ride dudes every day nobody's gonna well they're they're probably gonna care but they're not gonna say anything right because either they're fearful or there's so much respect I mean you've won like six championships like it's kind of hard to argue versus in my world I think of it as hey man like I'm gonna build up like this coaching currency with you and I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna support you but also knowing that when there's a time and I need to like get into you a little bit or let you know like you're out of line that it's gonna come from the right place and that they'll they'll take that in a certain way but I think everybody has to figure out their own balance of how friendly do I want to be with any given athlete and what their situation is you know yeah no absolutely because the relationship with athletes is everything, right? Like yes. there has to be the trust, respect, knowing that like you generally, that I really care about my athletes, that, yes. that when I'm talking to them, advising, doing anything, it's like coming from a place of like love and care, but just also for me being always, always conscious of what the currency is, how much am I willing to give or not, you know, how much yep. am I going to talk about life outside of soccer to get yep. to know and build that trust? And then also where, where's that, where that line is yes. to say like, you know, we, we can be friends, we could be friends, but, but we're working together. Like this is, yes. this is business, this is still you know, a uh, and res- absolutely. Exactly. And, and like respecting that. And it's, yeah, it, it's much harder than, than maybe I thought it was going to be, or, you know, it, it, because again, like I like a lot of these guys. Absolutely. <laughs> They're great. Absolutely. They're great. You know? So In our field, we love to talk about wins, right? Whether it's hitting PRs, winning rings, all those things. And especially in like the social media age where it's very easy to flaunt everything that is good about your life, right? But I think on the flip side, the losses and the failures have a big influence on what we learn over the years. So would you mind sharing maybe one or two of those and how you've learned from them? Yeah, you know, I think the managing of of these relationships is, is a, is a big one mm-hmm. for me, you know, in terms of, in terms of how I operate with the coaching staff, with the, my colleagues, with the players themselves, like just realizing that, you know, for myself, I need, I need to give them the information to where they're at and what they want and what they need, not what I would need or what I want if I were in their shoes, right. you know, and not coming in guns blazing and being like, this is the best plan that there ever was. <laughs> Let's do this. 
you know, and it, it, it really does. It's something that people talk about a lot as young, enthusiastic coaches, you know, that they give, give the, the right information that, Oh, the science says this, I've done this, I've had success here. But for me, really, really taking a step back again, like I talked about with, with Chad of what does this person need? How do they consume information and what's actionable and important to them? And I right. think, you know, earlier on in my career, I've just been like, Oh, coming in, yeah, here's a way that makes sense. Here's how we could do it. And not thinking about their perspective, just putting mm. myself in their shoes. Like, oh, great. If I was making a decision, here's how I would do it. But I'm not making a decision. They are. So how, <laughs> right. would, how are they doing it? What do they need? And really, again, trying to remove myself and my ego from it as much as possible when, when making decisions so that I'm serving the, the player, the coach, the GM, anybody, any of the stakeholders I'm, I'm dealing with. Like, what do, what do they need? And, and serving that, not what I want or what I would need if I were them. Mm. And no, that's been that's really hard point. <laughs> because it I is. know what I like and I know what makes sense and what, what I would need. That's really easy. Right. <laughs> Especially when you but think it's really about, hard to think about that. Oh, absolutely. And just thinking about all the different personalities and influences you have across, you know, 20 plus athletes, how many coaches, you know, GMs, all the people that you interact with, you know, as a coach in your position, you're getting drawn in a lot of different ways. And that's a lot of different things that are influencing you to so to try and stay steady there and figure out the best course of action without taking on your own personal bias can be really tough. Yeah. It can be really tough. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. It's it, it's really challenging. But to me, it shows like I've just had so much more success. Like it seems yeah. so obvious yeah. when when you connect with, again, a, a coach, a GM, athletic trainer, a therapist, anybody else and been like being able to show that you understand for me being able to show I understand what their needs are and and to be able to like help to if I'm really about serving you know showing it is a great way to do it when when they're like oh great that was exactly what I needed or you know oh I appreciate you bringing up that perspective on things or being aware that this is a pressure I have so yes. you've addressed that or you're at least aware of part of what my world is and how yeah. I how I have to live in it so for sure no, I love that, man. So another thing that I don't think most young coaches realize is the amount of time and dedication it takes to work in pro sports. It's very easy to say, oh, man, I'm going to go work in the MLS. I'm going to go work in the NBA or the NFL, and I want to be around that level of athlete. But I would love to hear from you, again, five years in, what are some of the sacrifices that you've had to make along the way to be successful and to stay in the game for this period of time? Yeah, definitely. I would say I'm like the luckiest man alive. Like I love, <laughs> I love my life and, and where I'm at right now. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm very privileged to have to be where I'm at, but there was definitely some, some pieces that were, that were challenging along the way. Like I was living in New York city after, so I'd been in DC doing this nonprofit and I was living in New York, just personal training, figuring out what my next step was. I would work, I would get up at four 30 in the morning. And then my last client, Oh, finished at 9 p.m. So I'd be at work mm. the entire time. And during that time, I was like, all right, I need to go to grad school. I need to take the CSCS and the GRE. So I'd have to carve out these blocks to study four or five hours during my lunch break. And it was really, do I nap or do I study? And every single day I had to answer that question to myself. Mm. And so that was that was something that was incredibly challenging to, to work full time, like stupid hours. But then realize, like, if I'm going to do this, this is what the requirements are. This is what I have to do. And then th that was great. That got me into I 
like I said, tricked my way into UM strength program, got there and I was doing this master's and I committed to doing it in 10 months. I was like, all right, I'm a few years older than most of these people. I want to do this, this master's program. I want to knock it out. But that required me working from 6 a.m. till 3 p.m., going to class from 3 p.m. till 7 p.m. every single day for 10 months. And at the time, my wife and I had just, we were just boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, sharing a car. So I would ride my bike <laughs> to work <laughs> and to school every day. It was, and it, not even my bike, I rode her bike because oh, wow. <laughs> she took my car. So it was these early mornings and then like the insult to injury at the end of the day, like, like, man, I have to go ride my bike home. Uh, um, <laughs> that's true. But I was really lucky that, you know, my family was fortunate enough that like I could pay for school. I could go to school and do a master's program in one year. So like, I definitely had to work for it, but there was, there's a certain amount of, of privilege that allowed me to do that. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people talk about, but like, I'm happy to share some of my salaries because my first job, I graduated with my master's. I'm like, you know, was a division one athlete. I made $20,000 at my first job and it was a 10 month job with no healthcare. I'm engaged to be married at this point. And I made $20,000 a year. And I'll never forget my conversation with Jim Krempos, you know, mentor of mine. I'm like, you know, Hey man, I've got this opportunity. Do you think I should take it? And he goes, what other, what other opportunities do you have right now? And I was like, yeah, I don't have any. He goes, okay then. So do you want to work in this field or not? And it was, but, but I have a master's degree, but I'm so smart. I have all these things. Right. Nope. Like doesn't, doesn't matter. You got to get in. And so I did that for a year. And then a year later I got a $5,000 raise and it was, but extended to a 12 month position. So right. it was thinking that like, it was going to be handed to me or that, you know, that I would make more because I had a master's degree, you know, or I would have another opportunity. And it was just like, it's really challenging. It's really, really challenging. And even when I moved out to Seattle, the cost of living in Seattle versus Charlotte were so different that while I made more money in my first job at the Sounders, it was actually less overall because the the cost of living in North Carolina was so cheap. Yeah. You know, and so it's been not ever really knowing when things would maybe get easier or, or finally click that I would, I would be like comfortable, you know, like I've had to be very aware of money working in this field because again, I'm like, I made $20,000 a year, right? You know, like I I better be very careful with my savings account if that's the case. Yes. You know, and, and so I feel very lucky, you know, again, that, that I think, again, a lot of my privilege would come out in that in the sense that I was able to get these jobs. I was able to network and be in positions to have the opportunity even to get that $20,000 a year job. I had to have three or four people call UNC Charlotte on my behalf to say like, this kid knows what he's talking about. Give him an opportunity. He just needs a chance. And that was for like a, you know, not even a full-time position. Right. And, and so like th- those kind of opportunities are really, really hard. And it's really hard to get on the inside. But once you do it, it certainly gets a little bit easier because I think our field is very like, once you're in, you're in. Yeah, um, but absolutely. It's, it's, it's hard to it's hard to get in. And so it was it was a it was a long time of not knowing when it would it would get easier, not knowing when I would make enough to like, not be super conscious of every single thing I ever did just to ensure that I had enough money to pay rent and, and all of that. So I don't know the direction things will go, especially now within, within the COVID climate of, of sports, you know, I feel very lucky to, to have a job right now, but like I had to take a pay cut 
Like that's right. a that's a reality of working in sports right now because and it's understandable. You know, my organization has not had any revenue, you know, for a number of months. But I also feel very fortunate to have a job. And I, you know, I know that's not the case with everybody given the climate right now. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's not always great. But I, again, I feel super lucky. Like I'm. <laughs> uh, you turned I out all right, man. You've turned out all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want everybody to feel like. Debbie Downer after after they listened to those last two questions. So I want to end yeah. kind of this thread on more of a high note. Young coach comes to you. They're passionate about soccer. They want to work in the MLS, the EPL, La Liga, one of these big, you know, professional clubs around the globe. What advice do you give them to get them started on their path to success? Yeah. So I have some. I'll give a disclaimer first. You know, I'm 33. I've worked for one private sector organization, one collegiate organization, and one professional. You know, so I'm still a young buck here. But my advice would be that there is no path. There's no way to get anywhere. But to be really brutally honest with yourself about like what your motivations are, like what makes you happy, what are you willing to work for every day because I have two kids. So when I'm at work, I'm not with my family. So I better really love what I'm doing because that's a lot of time I spend away from, from family. So to be clear about motivations and also like clear about strengths. Like I think whatever your strengths are as a, as a young coach, like make them like your superpowers. Like if you're good in the gym, like know everything, be like, be the best there is. And, and we can fill in the gaps. Again, we can get better. Um, you even touched on us a little bit, like networking, it has to be genuine. It has to be real, but like you have to do it. Right. You know, like if I'm going to hire somebody, I'm going to reach out to the people I know right now and be like, Hey, is there any young person that you need? Or I'm looking for this person. Do you know anybody in mind? Like I would, I would take a referral over just a, a resume any day, but it has to be, it has to be genuine. It can't just be like, Hey, I want to work. Can you come help me? You know, like the, having real relationships. So spending the time and investing in, in people and not with, with no expectation, with no expectation of like, Oh, this person is going to get me a job this time because like sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but spending the time to invest in, in the people in your network, learn from them, share value with them. But again, yeah. So those are, those are my, my few things of like trust that there is no past. Like I, I really don't believe that anybody has to follow a certain set. Like if you can explain to me and convince me why, you know, this is, this is makes sense for you. Then like, I'm on, I'm on board with that, you know? So I love it, man. I love it. Okay. Big question time, my guy, if you could alter the space time continuum and give young Sean Muldoon one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? It would be the same advice I will give 33 year old Sean right now. Oh, Uh, something I'm, I am currently working on and I think it's the most important thing for me in my life is to enjoy more and to like to celebrate the pieces along the journey. Like I said, I'm I'm very much like the next next step, the logical thinker of like, okay, I've done this, now this. I've done this and now this. And it's something having kids has really helped me with and my wife has has always worked on like trying to appreciate the moment more and celebrate it because like they go by really fast and Yes. I'll be very honest here. I couldn't, I probably can't name the, the, the both starting lineups of our championship teams. You know, like it's, those moments are incredible, but like I need to do better job of like really celebrating them in the moment, like being there, being present, loving it because like it's going to move on and I'll have something else. So 
it's something I really struggle with is just not moving on quickly to the next checklist item that I need to accomplish in my life. And I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with, especially in this day and age, right? There's constantly not just thinking about the future or the past, but like the distraction in the moment, right? Like there's so many things that we can interact with, like the phone, we can check the weather or social media or email or read the news. So I think that's just such a great thing. And it's something I think we can all relate to, right? Because even as good as you may be at it, it's something we can always be a little bit better at. Yeah. And I was very thankful in in celebrating our championship this last year. You know, I'm like on the outskirts, letting the players do their thing. I'm like, you know, it's not about me. They won the championship. I'm going to let them have fun. And one of the players just came up to me and just like covered me in beer. And I was like, okay, <laughs> now I get to have fun with them. Yeah. You know, but it was even that like, who knows if I'll ever have that experience and that opportunity again. So I was like, man, I should, I need to, I need to have fun and celebrate a little bit more. And that's, that's something that, yeah, I love it. Sean Muldoon needs to work on. I love it, man. All right, my guy, last but not least lightning round Four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Yeah. So I've got a couple. First one, hands down, number one highlight for me career-wise is seeing Jordan Morris score his brace against Cincinnati after coming back from his ACL. That was my first like full ACL rehab managing it. The expectation and pressure around that were so high given that his dad is the team doctor. You know, he's been playing for the U.S. national team. He's the face of our franchise and he's just a really special person. Yeah. And so being able to to go through the, all the ups and downs with him the entire year, the complicated ACL, and then his first game back at home to score two goals, it was just, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I cried on the sideline myself yeah. and the, our, our physical therapist like hugged. That's and awesome. it was just for him to see him come back and, and know he was, you know, worried would he be selected for the national team again because there was transitions, you know, like there was just so much weight on his shoulders yep. around that. And to to see him show up the way he did was just like, yeah, that's the, the, that's a moment I'll never forget. I'll take that over the, the championships any day. And then the number two for me kind of touches on what, what my uh, space-time continuum question is, is Man, I got to celebrate this 2019 championship with my wife, my daughter, my brother, and my sister because we hosted it here in Seattle. Yep. And it was a highlight for me, not because we won a championship, but because my family got to celebrate this. Like I said, this, yep. this field causes me to spend a lot of time away from those I love. I'm happy to do so because it's part of the job, but they have to sacrifice a lot in order for me to do this. And so to be able to to be at home and share it with my brother and my sister and my wife and daughter and to see them celebrate like that was That's that awesome. was really special for me because like they've never they, they don't work in sports they don't get these moments and so to watch them just go nuts on the field <laughs> after the game was was really fun. And then the number three would be to organize the sports science seminars. Like that's something that I hold in such a high regard because of my respect for Dave Tenney and something that he built. And I think it's a huge honor to pick up where he left off and, and to get to organize those because, you know, that's largely how I got my job with the Sounders. And and again, to like live on and continue Dave's legacy in my own way, because I'm doing something very different than he ever did. And yeah, that's a, a huge honor that I, I certainly don't take lightly. That's awesome. So, okay, I'm going to divert here for a second. But what what was that experience like in the past? And then what was it like this year, given 
the COVID climate and pulling all that together. Because, I mean, it was a fantastic event. I mean, I was so impressed with what you put together. But, like, how has it been just in general? And then what were the specific issues you struggled with this year? Yeah. So when Dave left 28, oh man, time, 2017, we didn't continue it in 2018 because it was just a huge, I had so much on my plate. I was like, this is something I want to do, but I can't, I just, I know I can't do it. So then 2019, I was like, I am a hundred percent doing it. This is happening. But I had I've never done anything even close to, to organizing like that. Luckily Dave, Dave and I stay in touch so I can ask questions but every piece of it was a new challenge for me, how to, you know, organize it, how to confirm speakers. Like I'm a new person in this field and Dave is like a legend. Like I don't have a network to be like, Hey, I want to ask my friend to speak here, you know? So every piece was a really new challenge. And then having done it in 2019, I was like, okay, I feel more comfortable. I'm ready to do it for 2020. And I had a really big idea of what I wanted to do. This, the one that we did this year, as a, in 2019, I was like, oh, I'll do that for next year. And then when, when during the like pandemic, realizing like, oh, this is not going to happen. Like I can't host an in-person event. Right. So we were just like, all right, we'll just cancel it. And then as we're all at home figuring out like what we're doing, how long this is going to last, I was just like, I don't know. Can I allow to swear? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I'm at home. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go for it. Like, uh, I had no, no idea what to expect from doing a virtual conference, but it was just, I felt like I couldn't sit there and not do it. I had the concept. I had the idea for 2020, had no idea how to pull it together virtually again, just figuring it out as I went along, but realizing there are people at home. Like if I'm ever going to confirm speaker, it's gotta be now while they're sitting at home. Right not working because we're all not working or, you know, like in person as, you know, working. So I thought it would be way easier. That was for sure. Ignorance and naivety on my part because it was just as hard as 2019, but a totally (laughs) different heart of just like, you know, way more digital based content based recording based Wi-Fi, you know, things that I didn't have to concern myself with in 2019 doing a live one, but it was, it was a blast. I'm so happy that we did. I mean, we raised $45,000 for charity. Like that was awesome. something I, I feel happy about and, and can be proud to, to help the Seattle community. But it was, yeah, totally different <laughs> sets of, of challenges. And, and But now at least I've, I've organized an online one. So now I, I would know some of the challenges going into trying to do it again. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And like I said, great event. You did such an awesome job. Very, very cool. So number two, how's the bubble life treating you these days? What's it like in beautiful yeah. Orlando? Yeah, it's interesting. I'll first say it's safer than I expected. I was very, very nervous coming out here, but it is, it does feel safe. So that's a huge relief given, especially the, the numbers in Orlando and just the, the overall landscape. But it's a pretty monotonous existence for me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something where I go to training, I go to our team meals, we'll have our gym sessions certain days, and then I mostly just live in my hotel room. And it's a blessing and a curse because I wish I was at home with my family right now. I have a month old son uh, that I wish I was spending time with, but here I am. So I, I'm trying to maximize it. So I spend a lot of time. I'll do 30 minutes of Spanish a day, 
I read okay. every single day, trying to, I'm trying to sleep a lot because when I go home, I'm, I'm for sure on overnight yes. baby duty. Um, <laughs> yes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's very monotonous for me. And, you know, maybe people have, have different experiences, but, you know, I'm trying to continue to minimize my risk. So when I'm not at mandatory activities, you know, I just spend time in my hotel room. And again, I can't complain because I have a job and that's, that's not something everybody can say. So I can't complain about being in a hotel room, but it's, it's the same thing every day. Yeah, for sure. It's like Groundhog's Day, right? Same thing kind of oh, over and gosh, over, just yes. different day. Number three, yeah. when I say the name Chad Marshall, what immediately pops into your head? Chad wearing Stephen Fry's clothes. I can't <laughs> oh my gosh, I need what to see that. What year that was? No. I feel like it was 2016 or 2017 maybe, but they had lockers right next to each other. And it had to be 2016 because I still didn't know him that well. I was still getting my feet, you know, figured out maybe 2017. And just Chad as a dresser, I would say his fashion sense is not the most forward thinking <laughs> or progressive. And Steph is maybe a little bit more modern and cares about fashion, but they're about the same size. Yes. And so every day, like when they would change in the morning before training, Chad would just put on Steph's clothes and then just go walk around. And just like, <laughs> it just made everybody laugh. Like that guy, I miss him so much. He is such a unique character. And I feel so like lucky to have spent a couple of years with him. But that's when I think Chad, I just think of him wearing Steph's clothes and like what absurdity it was to see. <laughs> that's funny, man. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Sean Muldoon? Yeah, what's next is first getting home and loving on my family. You know, that's that's the top of my priorities list. As soon as this tournament's over or we're we're done from that, it's like I just can't wait to get home and, and love on my peoples. Um yes. I miss them. And then in a broader sense, like professionally, I don't know. It's a big it's a big question that is is more of my life goal to figure out in the moment. Right now is I'm kind of at that transitional phase of you know, in in my fifth season within an organization, I've interv interviewed for and and been offered director level positions at, at various MLS clubs, and just trying to figure out what is next. And I I don't have the answer to it, but I would like to. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if anybody knows, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well said. I think the future for you is very bright, my friend. And the Sounders are lucky to have you. I'm a Sounders fan, so I got to say that. But. As long as I keep you around, I'm happy, man. But Sean, it's been great catching yeah. up with you today. If people don't know, this is your first ever podcast. So I feel honored that you chose us to be your first podcast. But where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sir underscore Sean. That's probably the best way. Or email Sean M at Sounders FC. I'm not always the best at returning emails. I would happily encourage anybody that has any questions or anything I could connect with, I, I would love to. So either one of those is probably the, the best way to, to stay in touch. Awesome, man. Well, I'll make sure we get all those in the show notes. And again, Sean, man, thanks so much for coming on the show, buddy. It was really great to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And hopefully I was able to provide a little value to uh, the listeners. For sure. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Sean. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He's a guy I have a great deal of respect for. I've been around the soccer community for quite some time now, closing in on a decade between my work with the Indy 11, the various athletes that I've had come through our gym, and I just have so much respect for the Sounders organization, and I have so much respect for a guy like Sean who's gone in there. He's taken the mantle that guys like Dave Tinney, Chad Kalarsik, 
put into place. I mean, they've set a very high standard and he's gone in there and he's done a fantastic job himself. Plus, I got a lot of love because I don't consider myself a soccer guy and I always felt a little bit like an outsider, but I think to see that guys like him or like myself can go in and have success in that world can be a very positive thing for you. If you are somebody that wants to get into a certain sport, but you're not familiar with it yet, if guys like Sean and I can be successful, then I think you can as well. So with that being said, if you enjoyed this episode, I've got one of two favors to ask of you. Number one, if you're not already a subscriber to the show, please do it now. Whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you like to consume podcasts, you can find the show there. So go and subscribe if you haven't already. If you have, thank you, but do me one other favor. Do me one better. Go to iTunes, give me a rating and a review. The ratings and the reviews really help kind of boost the stock of the show, and it gets it in front of more trainers, coaches, athletes, physical therapists like yourself. And I think the more people that we can expose to the show, the more people we can positively influence, the better. And that's what I'm here for. I want to help make this industry a better place. And it can start with you by doing something as simple as giving the show a rating or review. So my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.